Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Banks start reporting earnings in the US in about three days. That's April 14th. Most Wall Street banks are expected to report lower quarterly earnings and uh, are expected to face a dour outlook for the rest of the year with last month's uh, regional banking crisis and a slowing economy also expected to hurt profitability. Analysts from Refinitiv, for example, expecting earnings per share for the six biggest US banks to be down by about 10% compared to a year earlier. Last month, we saw access to cheaper deposits increasing for bigger banks as savers fled those smaller regional players in the wake of SVB's collapse, uh, leading bigger banks to see a boost to their net interest incomes. But do banks face growing headwinds like a slowing U.S. economy, tighter financial conditions? Could they be looking at tepid loan growth? souring credit. Is this likely a challenging next season for banks? Well, we're going to take a closer look at the recent banking crisis today and ask what the episode means for those of us invested in the sector. With Cheng Chai Sen, he is Head of Investment at Provident. Hi, Chai Sen. Good of you to join us. Yes, thanks. Uh, Okay, help us understand your view. What was really behind the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse. Very different in nature on some level. Um, SVB seeing substantial investment in U.S. government bonds, okay for the time, until rising interest rate created risks. And some say that was an unhedged portfolio. And then Credit Suisse saw stakes in now defunct companies like Archegos. And there were also fines that Credit Suisse had to pay out after they faced numerous scandals. So what happened to SVB and Credit Suisse? And does it all boil down to bank executives taking risks with undiversified deposits? Yeah, so I guess we can quickly recap sort of what happened in March to mm-hmm. these uh, banks, which, yes, you mentioned, they are actually, it's very unrelated, uh, except for the same uh, thing in the end. Uh, Fractional banking or the banking system uh, depends a lot on confidence because if every bank were to lose its, any bank were to lose all its deposits uh, in a few days, it would not survive no matter how, you know, big or solid it is. Right. So, uh, the, 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 it's unrelated reasons, but the same thing bo- uh, hit both banks and there was sort of a loss of confidence. And I mean, so if, with regards to SVB, it is a mid, was a mid-sized bank. You know, it's actually large enough to be, was large enough to be in the S&P 500, but it was uh, small enough to avoid uh, certain restrictions around cash levels that the larger systematically important banks in the U.S., uh, like say J.P. Morgan and Citibank, uh, had to follow. So there was actually a lowering of restrictions around uh, how much uh, cash uh, smaller banks needed to hold, and that allowed Silicon Valley Bank um, to take more risk uh, with the deposits it had. Uh, Unfortunately, it's very extremely concentrated in its user base, so a very uh, similar profile of depositor, and uh, and that made it very exposed to a a risk that uh, uh, a set of customers that were very hard hit in 2022 because mm-hmm. uh, higher interest rates made um, VC and investors more selective. And so funding dried up for a lot of tech startups, especially in Silicon Valley. And so they needed the cash they had in the bank 
to meet all their payroll requirements and their cash flow requirements. Yes, but as you mentioned, however, SVB, they deposited the money in, uh, they used the money to invest in long-term government securities looking for the yield, but they didn't hitch that uh, interest rate the interest rates on that portfolio and this duration mismatch, you know, caused them to be in trouble when mm. the depositors needed the money, mm. but they had to raise the money by selling these securities. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of uh, discussion about whether they should have sold the securities or should they have, you know, pledged the securities to take a short-term loan from the Fed. But yeah, so in the end, they sold the securities, they announced a big loss of uh, $1.6 or is it $1.9 billion, and that sort of spooked depositors, and they started to pull their money from the bank all at the same time, and then that, uh, in the end, caused the uh, SVB to have to be taken over by the FDIC. I mean, on the other side of the Atlantic, I mean, like you mentioned, Credit Suisse is really more just about the loss of confidence in the bank. Uh, over the past couple of years, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Archegos, Greensill, they have uh, lost a lot of uh, money making uh, sort of loans that didn't work out. Right. And so after uh, SVV failed, people started being a bit worried about Credit Suisse. And uh, also, uh, their major shareholder was asked about whether they would support uh, Credit Suisse, you know, invest more. And uh, they mentioned that they wouldn't due to regulatory reasons. They, they were already at 10%. They, they, was, they, was, they were concerned that if they crossed 10%, they would, uh, it would cross-trigger a lot of regulations for a foreign investment firm to invest in the, the bank. So they said they wouldn't. That made people lose even more confidence uh, in Credit Suisse. And then, you know, eventually they needed the emergency liquidity mm-hmm. and uh, UBS was made to take over the uh, Credit Suisse to preserve financial stability. So, you know, overall, they are fairly unrelated, but, you know, there has been an impact on uh, stocks. Uh, if you look at, uh, on, on a few things, really, if you look at, uh, first of all, I guess, AT1s were, you know, all in the news and oh, uh, yeah. that AT1s prices have definitely corrected because uh, investors are now starting to price in the risk on AT1s uh, a Appropriately, can you uh, can you explain what AT ones are f- just just very briefly for our listeners, so that we sure. can understand uh, why they were repriced? So basically, uh, yes, take it away, Chaisa. Okay, it's called uh, basically AT one short form for additional tier one capital bonds, mm-hmm. and uh, these are bonds used by banks to uh, increase sort of their capital base. But uh, after two thousand and eight, when many banks had to be bailed out, regulators uh, decided that, okay, uh, in the future, if the banks were to run into trouble, they can't just get a blanket bailout. So uh, investors, uh, even in the bonds, certain segments of the bonds would also have to take some risk alongside uh, the shareholders. So uh, while... so. These uh, AT1 bonds, they, are, they have conditions in them that allow them to be written off uh, or to be you know, reduced in value drastically. And these uh, conditions are set by the, uh, by the regulators right, of every country. They're, they're, even Singapore banks have them also, and MAS is the one that decides uh, what triggers the write-down, and you know, uh, they are the ones that, that uh, sort of trigger that write-down should any of the banks uh, run into trouble. So, so there are conditions around that. And so for that reason, actually, AT1s have much higher yields, which do make them attractive to some investors. Mm. But I guess, you know, uh, 
prior to this, no major bank has ever had the AT1s uh, written down in such a fashion. And so investors maybe didn't look at the risk as closely. But I think now after what happened with the Credit Suisse AT1s, uh, investors are aware and, you know, uh, they are definitely pricing these bonds uh, uh, with that with that risk in mind. Goodness me. So after the 2008 global financial crisis, basically AT1 bonds were introduced, uh, meant to be an additional layer of protection, really thrust into the spotlight because of what happened with Credit Suisse under the orders of the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority. Some 16 billion Swiss francs in AT1s would be slash two zero. And there was always a clause uh, with those bonds. So investors should have known that this was something that could happen, right? And these bonds rank lower in terms of claims uh, compared to ordinary bonds and hence they were always sort of as riskier investments. And so right now, if we take a step back, thanks for that, by the way, uh, you say they've been repriced. People understand that they're they're riskier? Uh, Yeah, definitely in the wake of uh, uh, what happened at Credit Suisse, you saw the uh, AT1 bond fall, you know, uh, in value, so mm. definitely repriced by the market. Okay. Uh, what I mean, also small companies, uh, especially smaller banks. Uh, I mean, the stocks have also moved uh, quite uh, dramatically. Mm. So we saw, um, uh, particularly uh, U.S. banks, smaller banks, uh, small cap uh, has fallen quite a bit. Uh, not just, I guess, the banks alone, also, but in general, small, mid-sized companies because they are more dependent on banks for financing and you know they would have uh, with the banks maybe being more wary about just giving out loans freely um, their access to capital will also be a bit more limited of course unlike large companies uh, with strong balance sheets uh, those are much less affected Okay. You know, when banks were in turmoil, the big question amongst uh, many journalists in newsrooms were, could the crisis point to vulnerabilities elsewhere? Was there any impact on investors here in Singapore? I think aside from the one to two weeks of, I guess, market panic that we had, overall, actually, if you were not invested in 81s and if you were invested in a diversified portfolio, uh, you would have actually seen yourself do pretty well because uh, mm-hmm. stocks went up in March. Um, yes, surprising. Stocks actually went up in March despite all the headlines. Uh, uh, we had a fairly big move uh, in um, the large stocks, uh, the tech stocks in particular, mm. uh, saw investors rotate out of banks uh, back into the larger tech companies, which were all out of favor last year, by the way. But oh, then yes. now, now they have uh, done pretty well and they are pushing the stock market rally. In fact, uh, in, for the US market, we have the 20 companies account for 90% of the rally so far in 2023, and most of them are the larger tech companies. Uh, Fixed income also did very well in uh, the month. I think we saw the Bloomberg Global Aggregate go up around 2% for the month. Yeah, it is a big move in bonds. I mean, 2% in one month. Yeah, so... Uh, that was a big move as there was a sort of a flight to safety. Investors went into safe government bonds. And I mean, we saw that in yields to, uh, like just for example, the two-year treasury yield fell around 100 basis points or 1%. So that's fairly large capital gains for uh, short-term bonds. Do you see any further side effects from the banking crisis in the months ahead, Chaisen? Yeah, it's... Um, it's hard to say. So the regulators really acted very quickly this time to uh, step
stem the any kind of contagion. They bailed out uh, all the depositors of um, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, they bailed out every uh, all the depositors of uh, Credit Suisse. So, you know, uh, they have done a lot to restore confidence. But yeah, what we are likely to see in the coming months is. Uh, Many of the banks are going to be reporting their earnings, and in particularly the smaller banks, the more regional banks. And I think now with what happened to SVB, investors are going to be scrutinizing the <clears throat> the balance sheet and the notes, you know, to see what kind of uh, uh, unrealized losses these banks have on their balance sheet with regards to uh, the bonds that they hold in their uh, on their assets. So um, that might be something that sort of uh, adds more volatility to the market. I mean, but having said that, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, numbers have already you know, been thrown around. Uh, uh, people have uh, mentioned you know, sort of how much losses these smaller banks are sitting on. Uh, their stock prices have fallen. I mean, if you look at some, their, you know, some of the other banks like uh, that were fairly large, like First Republic, their stocks have fallen tremendously. So um, the market's already been moving to uh, sort of pricing this risk. So uh, unless something new comes out or you know uh, some some bank that we uh, so far are not aware of uh, suddenly reports extremely bad losses maybe we might it, it might really be over but it's a bit too early to tell right right when when we were first you know looking at the carnage of SVB a lot of people looked at the bank's significant investments in US government bonds which seemed great at the time but a lot of questions were raised as to why, when there were signs that interest rates were rising and so creating substantial interest rate risk, why SVB managers left their portfolio unhedged and unchanged. And also, of course, people wondered whether this was a first proof that the Fed's moves were leading to breaks, you know, that, oh, finally the Fed has broken something in the system. What do you think uh, in terms of the Fed's outlook on interest rates? Has anything changed since the banking crisis in March? Yeah, I think uh, definitely uh, things have changed. I think even in just the last meeting, we saw there was a big debate around even raising the Fed rate by 25 basis points. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, they did because they saw that the system was stable enough and they still saw some inflationary pressure. So so they were confident enough to raise it. But uh, right now, uh, I think, first of all, the Fed chair, uh, Jerome Powell, did make some comments that uh, with the credit tightening conditions that they see right now, um, that is already amounting to a hike and you know and and uh, sort of uh, unofficial hike of 25 maybe to even 50 basis points so they they think that the fact that banks are more cautious on lending is is helping their cause uh, that's one thing so um, that's one uh, sort of data point to see that the Fed might not raise rates as high next you know we look at what the market's pricing in in terms of the Fed funds futures and mm. the probabilities uh, yeah it's showing a, a strong likelihood of one more 25 basis points hike and then after that uh, the market sort of is fairly undecided between uh, a pause or rate cuts. Definitely not seeing much probability of uh, higher rates after the next hike, but 
um, I think the question is now really, will the Fed cut rates in late 2023 or will the Fed cut rates in 2024, which is uh, quite a big change because before SBV happened, um, the market was talking about rate hikes of you know 5.5% and beyond. But now um, uh, that I think uh, is probably not going to be the case so quickly because I think the Fed, as you mentioned, uh, is now more wary about uh, unintentionally breaking something. Yeah. And in response to the 2008 global financial crisis, we did see significant new regulatory action, legislative action as well, to improve bank capital, to reduce the likelihood of another banking crisis happening. So the recent failure of Silicon Valley Bank, the seizure of Signature Bank, uh, the regulator takeover of Credit Suisse. Do you think that any of this is going to make it into um, MAS's announcement on 14th of April in terms of Singapore's monetary policy? Uh, well, yeah, I don't think uh, MAS is going to announce regulatory changes for Singapore, but uh, I think right now uh, what we are seeing and what uh, consensus is sort of uh, calling is that uh, inflationary pressure is still pretty high in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are expectations for MAS to tighten the monetary policy on their uh, meeting uh, announcement on the 14th of April. Uh, that, so there are two ways they can do that. One is they can uh, steepen the slope of the band or, some, or to even shift the midpoint higher. So um, most are sort of just expecting the band to steepen which is a more uh, gradual kind of uh, tightening uh, to move the midpoint uh, of the sing dollar of the band high, higher would you know be a more aggressive form of tightening i think uh, there's a bit less uh, uh, sort of uh, expectation around that so the outcome of that would be um, the sing dollar would strengthen i mean in a vacuum you know if no other central bank did anything uh, technically it sort of make the sing dollar stronger and it would have that impact of uh, somewhat lowering our interest rates yeah. so it would be sort of uh, beneficial for Singapore because uh, we import a lot of um, our uh, daily necessities and uh, from overseas so mm. uh, a stronger sing dollar allows us to uh, purchase uh, more goods with the same amount of money and hopefully that will uh, combat the inflation that we are still seeing in Singapore. Well, thanks for those insights into expectations. And speaking of expectations, uh, this is a question we hear many listeners raise. A couple of years, you know, during the pandemic, the argument was, oh, rising interest rates would positively impact the banking sector. They would impact the uh, net interest margins of banks. So why instead have we come to see a situation where banks uh, have been nursing mark-to-market losses instead? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, Yes, rising interest rates will do actually uh, help banks uh, have better profits because it allows them to uh, make loans at, you know, higher interest rates. Um, So that should, uh, in theory, give them better profits. Unfortunately, I think uh, this What happened here is uh, just a couple of things. Firstly, uh, interest, uh, rising interest rates uh, is good, but you know we had interest rates rise extremely fast, which was fairly uh, unexpected. That Mm -hmm. suddenly interest rates would go from zero to four and a half in a year. Mm -hmm. In fact, less than a year, about uh, nine months. 
So, so uh, such a move means that the banks, you know, can't really react because if you were, you know, running a bank in December 2021, you would, you know, if you had deposits coming in, you would still be, you know, obligated to try and uh, invest or make certain loans at certain uh, at, at the prevailing interest rates, which were much lower at that point. So such such a quick sharp move up in yields uh, would have caused the asset prices of uh, you know anything on the bank balance sheet to sort of fall because you know they would all have been sort of priced at a much lower interest rate. So uh, that that big move uh, sort of I guess might have caught banks off guard. I mean, the other one is uh, at that point uh, when yields were low, banks were trying to sort of do their best to make uh, sort of profits. But I, so I guess they didn't really expect what, what would happen so quickly and mm. they didn't hedge their, pop, their sort of their interest rate risk. Mm-hmm. And so that probably caught out some of these banks. Makes a lot of sense. And more broadly, uh, for those uh, out there interested in the banking sector, Chaisen, have your views on the attractiveness of the banking sector, the global banking sector, change after the banking crisis? Um, I think in terms of the small banks, uh, yeah, you would probably have to be more careful and, you know, I'm sure investors are going to be pouring over the financial statements of the smaller banks to see uh, the, any, if any of them are exposed to similar risks <coughs> as we saw with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, but actually, the big banks are sort of the winners from from this because they're, they're the ones gaining all the deposits. If you saw right. what happened, uh, the big banks gained so much deposits, they had to try and help bail out First Republic. They deposited $30 billion with First Republic to show up that smaller bank. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of um, the big banks, uh, you know, they might actually be sort of more attractive place because um, they're, they're the ones that are the laggards right now in 2023. We've seen, you know, the tech companies rally, but the banks have uh, taken a hit since uh, March. So it might be wor- worth a look uh, at the big banks because, you know, they're sort of the winners, they are getting all the deposits and they will benefit from the higher uh, interest rates and make more profits with better net interest margins. So they might be worth a look, but investors should always do their own due diligence before investing. Wise words and terrific insights. Thanks as always for joining us, Chai Sen. Thanks, Michelle. Cheng Chai Sen, Head of Investment at Provident. This is Money and Me right here on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.